Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Climate Champions. My name is Maddie Orr. I'm your host, and today I'm joined by several people who are involved in Eco Athletes. This episode is a little different and will have three parts. The first part has an interview with Lou Blaustein, the founder of Eco Athletes, and Kristen Fulmer, who is a strategic advisor with Eco Athletes and the founder of Recipric. In part two and three, we're joined by two pioneering athletes in their own spaces. Elena Olson is a national team member with USA Rugby, and Jeremy Casebeer is an assistant coach at UCLA Women's Volleyball and a professional beach volleyball player in his own right. Here's the conversations. So thank you so much for joining me. And in this first part of the episode, I was really hoping that, Lou, you can give me a background on where this idea for eco-athletes originally came from. Well, thanks, Maddie, for having us, first of all. And so where the idea came from was from my work with Green Sports Blog, and over the which I've been writing for seven plus years now. I would say over the last three or four years, I've really been asking myself the question and then asking the question of the green sports industry or world, what problems are you trying to solve for? And to me, the problem that was not being mentioned much was the one that should be being solved for, which is climate change. And so, and that just made no sense to me. And so in the last few years, I've really been zeroing in on interviewing athletes, because I believe athletes have the power to change culture and to change behavior of millions, if not billions of fans. And I was talking to athletes who were involved with a variety of environmental causes, which are great from plastic ocean waste to bushfire and wildfire concerns and the like, but they weren't talking about climate. And so I would ask them why, and they would come up with three reasons why. One would be that it's too sciencey and I don't want to get involved in science. And I thought, oh, I have a good answer for that one. The second would be it's too political and I do not want to be in politics. And I thought, oh, this is overcomable. And then the third was, you know, I, I travel a lot for my sport. My carbon footprint is huge. And this isn't even getting to the athletes who make a gazillion dollars and have a gazillion houses, but you know, they don't want to be called on the carpet for being hypocrites. And I thought, oh, I have the answer for that one too. These are overcomable objections. We need to come up with a, an organization that helps overcome them. And what's the common thread? It's a matter of education and inspiration. So that's where the idea came from. And obviously, there was a proof point with something called Protect Our Winters, a group of winter sports athletes that have been educated on climate change and then have been speaking about it over 10 years now. But the non-winter sports athletes, they have the bigger following. They need more education because it's not as obvious. Climate change is not as obvious to a basketball player, the effects of it, as it would be to a skier or a snowboarder who's seeing it when they go out and there's no snow on the hill. Right. Yeah. So from an idea of there's this challenge of athletes not necessarily feeling comfortable, opportunities to get them past those some of those points of hesitancy and educate them. Kristen, what's the current game plan for, for getting the athletes involved when they come to eco-athletes, whether you approach them or they come to you, what's the process? How do we help them get past those three points of objection? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, really our, our goal is to, to get athletes excited about climate and engaged on the topic. So the, the first solution for that is, is really pretty simple, which is education. And so in education, there are a variety of different strategies we can use, both kind of engaging conversations, curriculum, dialogue, and also just, you know, supporting them in, in speaking on the issue directly. So in the curriculum, we're, we're developing basically a series of climate-related tracks, so very specific sections to engage people that are interested in very various specific topics like plant-based or climate policy, or ocean plastic specifically, for example, we have tracks to address those. But then to, to get started in that, we have a more kind of simple warm-up, as we call it, warm-up track to, to get them excited, and then a basic overview of what climate change really is on its face. We're also working on a few other ways to engage athletes and just get them excited to, to start their journey in, in better understanding and speaking on climate. So... I imagine this happens online. Like, what's the delivery, Lou? Where do you, how do they progress through this? Exactly. And so before COVID, our kind of, our, our approach was going to be that we would have to go physically where athletes were to give the courses. As but you're not going to which, go to the bubble. No, <laughs> we are not going to go to the bubble. So now it, during, with COVID, it is actually making it easier in a way because we can, as everyone else is doing, use virtual platforms for climate education courses. That also results in a much lower carbon footprint for all of us. And, you know, as this is, as virtual education, virtual coaching has become the norm, people are going to be much more facile with it. And so we believe it will go over very well. Yeah, I think Zoom's being used for everything these days, from like your cooking class to your college course to your meeting with your mom, right? Like everything, everybody now has a Zoom account. So where that would have been maybe a little foreign before, it's now kind of commonplace. Kristen, tell me about what athletes you've got involved so far, what your vision is. Like, is it just for those professional summer sport athletes or are you broader than that? Talk me through that. Yeah, so I think Lou and I both agree that athletes look like a lot of different types of people, that the word athlete is, is so widely applicable. And climate is also not a regional issue. It's a global issue. And so we've done our best to address that. And it's had kind of happened organically as well. We've had a great group of athletes that have expressed interest, reached out themselves, or we've reached out to them specifically because of their work with climate already to, to get started from a variety of countries, a variety of sports. We have two athletes on our advisory board, Alexandra Rickham and Brent Suter. They both come from very different backgrounds. Alexandra is a Paralympic sailor from the UK and Brent is based here in the US and he is a current professional baseball player. So even just within the advisory board, we have a wide range of athletes, but then I have also been fortunate enough to be working with several athletes from Australia, from Europe and others here from the US. Lou, feel free to remind me if I'm missing a, a continent here, but I think it's, it's I, been I think great. You, I think you've got it. Great. Uh, oh, well, next is we'll tackle Africa and Asia. But it's it's been really fun to to pull together athletes from all around the world from a variety of different sports that can both use their platform from their current professional teams and leagues and 
their sponsors as well, but also pull in some, some of those that have made their switch to being a professional and, and, you know, using their platform there as well. Super interesting. And so the athletes will approach you or you'll approach them. They'll come on board. They'll train in the warm up series online. Is that synchronous? Is it asynchronous? Can they go at their own pace? Like, how does that work? Yes. The answer is <laughs> yes. In other words, so we envision a number of different scenarios, right? One is where there'll be a group of athletes and, and you know, funded by a company, say a, a Nike or an Adidas, for example, a, an athletic apparel maker, for example, that wants their athletes to be able to speak about climate because they've already identified environment as something that's very important to them corporately. So the athletes won't pay, the organization will pay. And we, we're developing what we're calling a donation for service model because we're nonprofit. And so the organizations like company or could be a governing body, like in the, could be the uh, AVP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour or the National Football League, or, or you can think of a, a, a million of them, that they would see benefit in their athletes being able to speak out on climate. So imagine a group of athletes taking the courses starting from the warm-up all the way through the advanced tracks, or there could be individuals who may want just you know, the second level and the third level, or they may want something customized. So it's really going to be to what the group or the individual's needs are. We will develop something in terms of climate education that works for them. Right. So there is opportunity for it to be individualized in addition to the generic content that everybody gets. Yes. Awesome. All right. So we're going to hear from two of the athletes later in this episode, Elena Olson on Team USA Rugby, women's rugby, and Jeremy Casebeer, a beach volleyball player based in LA. But before we get to that, one more question, and I'm going to throw it to both of you. What is the moonshot for this, this nonprofit? I'm on the advisory board. And so I meant to ask this question in meetings, but I'm going to ask it in the public eye now. Where is this going? What's the dream with this? What's the, like, we have accomplished the mission. What would that look like? Kristen, I'll go to you first. Oh, no, I was hoping you would bounce it off of Lou. He has such a great answer. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's really, to me, what would make me excited is to see fans engaging directly with their athletes to say, look, here's the change that you've helped me make. And whether that's, you know, just a simple tweet or if it's something really powerful, a project that someone has has helped get started because of an athlete's passion to speak out on it would be really exciting for me. Lou has a better answer. (laughs) All right, Lou, founder in chief. All right. Well, to me, there's many metrics for success, but I'm coming down to one. I think it would be so great to see one of our athletes that have gone that will have gone through eco athletes courses to then win an ESPY award, talk about climate on the ESPYs, and then somehow be identified as an eco athlete. Or even if not, just to say about, to talk about climate change and we'll know that they came from our, from our training. So get them onto the biggest stages and have them talk about it there. Awesome. Well, with that, we're going to move on to some of our conversations with athletes. Thank you both so much for joining. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This is great.
So Elena, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm really excited to have you on to hear about your rugby career and some of your new advocacy in environmentalism and sport. Oh, thank you, Maddie. I'm really happy to be here and talk about it. So Elena, you, you're you from the, I guess, the Midwest, Michigan, right? Yes. Yeah. And the then where? The Mitten State, yeah. From in state. And so you grew up in Michigan, ultimately went to University of Michigan. Tell me about mm-hmm. just growing up and some of your early influences and how they shaped your perspectives around the environment. When I was younger, I was a pretty free range child. I would go out with my dad a lot and we would just pick up trash or like, I don't know, go mushroom hunting, or he'd be like, oh, we can eat these leaves or, you know, just those sort of things out in the woods. And then my mom was very resourceful. So she would be like, we're going to use this until like, we can't possibly use it anymore. Um, And and those sort of ideas. And like, Michigan is really beautiful. There's a lot of water, there's, there's a lot of nature, and there's so many things to do. And it's, it's really hard not to be like a part of that coming from there. And that, so so I did, I've, it's always been a part of my life. Yeah. And then you went to Michigan. Tell me about your time there, because in somewhere in that growing up and going to Michigan, you got really into rugby. Oh, yeah. My cousins had always played rugby, but I, I was a soccer player all the way through high school. And I was kind of, you know, coming out of that. And I wanted to try something different. And I had always been like pretty aggressive and really liked contact aspects. So I was like, oh, I'll try rugby in college. Why not do something different? And I just like you show up to practice and everybody is like so inviting and inclusive and they're they're like some of my favorite people in the entire world and you know my, some of my best friends to this day and like I of course loved playing rugby for its culture and for its contact but like the people were also part of the reason that it was so amazing and, and the reason why I still love it today and and meet so many cool people all around the world that like share the same sort of love that I do for the sport. Amazing. And I I mean, I played rugby in high school and had a very similar experience with the people just being so welcoming and amazing in that sport. You're now on the national rugby team for Team USA, living down in California for the most part, I think, training there and living, you know, with your teammates. So tell me about that experience of joining the national team and moving across the country and what that was all like. Yeah, it's it's been really crazy. I've been out here for two years now and well with with Recently, with the coronavirus, you know, we haven't been able to do very much, but like kind of gravitated towards like more individual hobbies. So like I started surfing and stuff. So I I feel like a real California like person. Like I actually live here now and this is my home, which is cool. But it's a lot. It's a very different scene. So Michigan is really green and out here is a desert. And it's at first it was hard. That that was probably one of the hardest things for me coming here is that it was so deserty. But but you end up learning how to like fall in love with like the nature that is here in San Diego. But then it's also really nice to move into a team and be in a team environment, although it's really cutthroat and it's really competitive. You meet like a lot of amazing people who who you probably wouldn't have crossed paths with from any, you know, in any other circumstance. And and so it's really cool to have teammates and to like be pushing yourselves with people that you really love to be around and and like be in this environment all together and I don't know just all go we're all going for the same goal so right and um, and recently one of those goals has been environmental advocacy you actually brought your team in on an earth day project tell me about that yeah that was a lot of fun it, it was kind of crazy how it came together but I 
So I work for the U.S. Green Chamber of Commerce, and they were going for this like global climate pledge initiative where they want like two billion signatures of people that are like, I'm going to take a small action. It can be like super small, no more plastic water bottles, get a reusable water bottle, something that millions of people can do to make a greater impact. And we were trying to find like influencers or people that could like help us push this out. And I'm sitting here like, oh, my whole team, like everybody's so, you know, they're all leaders in their own space. And so like, I was like, oh, I should, I should like connect these two together. And then it was probably the first time I, I had brought my team into like that sort of space. And it's so awesome because like part of the pledge is, is this whole idea of so many people doing this together. So to like be able to have my team and my team be so supportive of saying, Hey, yeah, we'd love to help you do this. We'd love to help you take action. And like, thanks for educating us on things that we can do, like really kind of open the gates for me to be able to talk to them about things or like, you know, suggest some sort of like differences that we can make as a team by just having small changes. So we came up with this video of all of us taking the pledge and making small actions and it came out on USA Rugby for Earth Day. See, that's amazing to me because I feel like the athlete platform is so powerful, right? As you're saying, and sometimes athletes will do it and just kind of do it on their own. Like you're working for the Green Chamber of Commerce and that's brilliant, but finding ways to bring your peers into it as well and make it a group project, I think is so special about that that initiative, because you don't often see like a whole team of athletes standing for something. I mean, we're starting to see it now with athletes taking a knee and that's brilliant, but Mm -hmm. seeing it in the green space is really, was really kind of unique to that team. So that was really exciting to see. You've recently parlayed that into becoming an eco athlete. And so tell me about your choice to join that organization and, and what you are excited about with joining that organization. Yeah. Our national governing body, when I when I was when I was asking our social media manager if, if we could do something like this, she had mentioned eco athletes to me, and then the it's like the floodgates just like bursted open because I had I didn't know that there was a community like this out there, and I don't know why I never really thought of like sports and climate change coming together. But when I contacted them and I heard about all the people that are involved and the work that they're doing and like. And again, bringing together that team aspect of combating climate change, it was so, oh, I I was just like, this, this is where I have to, like, I have to be here. This is perfect. This is like exactly the sort of, the, the sort of thing that I've been like wanting to get involved in. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to also push, you know, a career and push climate change while, you know, having a career as a rugby player and to have those have a similar like like track going in the same direction um like has given me like a lot more to work with like I feel like the resources that I have and the people that I know it's a lot easier to like have everything moving and intertwining into something that's a lot stronger than me just like pushing in two different directions right yeah marrying your two passions and moving in one direction that sounds yeah exactly and I think what's really interesting too about the group that eco athletes has brought together is you've got an interesting mix of like team sport athletes, individual athletes, people from different parts of the world, like everybody has a very, all the athletes involved have very different perspectives. And so I think it's going to be a really cool opportunity, like you say, to learn from each other and like find ways to marry and merge your passions towards something really productive. Yeah. And 
and a lot, you know, we've had a couple community chats where we've been able to talk to each other and everybody's so intelligent and I've been learning so much from them and like from what they're doing in their space. Um, and even from a lot of them are entrepreneurs, which is amazing to like be able to have the time and energy to, to you know, come up with your own business and then on top of on top of your sports career. And it's it's been really awesome to like just see all the work that people are putting out there and being able to like support them and then you know like find find different ways that you fit in to their pictures absolutely i have one more question for you because i gotta ask i know that your team was on the olympic track still is on the olympic track for next year yeah what has covid meant for your team and what's been going on with you and the team in this moment of pause there there's been a you know a lot of different emotions and there's a lot of trying to be very sensitive to an understanding of the, the different ways that people feel about what's happening. And I know that there's so, there's so much, there, there are bigger things, you know, there are bigger risks and that's why this had to happen. And we're all very understanding of that. And, and it's more just like taking it step by step. Like we still have the same goal and the bright side is that we have more time. We have, we have more time to nail down the skills that we want to become stronger to, you know, like, what's been really awesome is I think that COVID has forced, you know, for our team and probably for a lot of other athletes, like one of the longest breaks that we've had physically for our bodies to heal, but also like mentally, yeah, to just step away. And so I'm, I'm interested to see uh, how everybody bounces back from this, like how, you know, it's going to be different when we come in because, because I don't know, it just, everything feels a lot fresher. Like we've, we've been given time to like really sit, sit with ourselves and sit down with like our bodies and like rehab our bodies and, you know, come back into another year where we can just go at it. It's been, I mean, it was hard at first, definitely, but I think there's a lot of good things and we're ready. People are eager to be back on the field. So. And we'll be eager to watch you. So thank you so much for joining. We will look forward to hearing more about all the amazing things that you do and that Eco Athletes does. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me. So thank you, Jeremy, so much for joining. I want to start by just asking about how you got into sport and volleyball in the first place. Just tell me a little bit about you, where you come from, and how you came up in this space. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, I started playing volleyball when I was a freshman, played club soccer my whole life competitively. And then some of my friends quit and just wasn't as fun. I was running five, six miles a day for conditioning after school. And my sister, who was a few years older, was playing volleyball. My dad had played back in the day at UCSB. I grew up in uh, Santa Barbara. And Turns out the tall, lanky kid's just much better suited for volleyball, and I just had a blast with it. And so you've parlayed volleyball and training um, as a as an athlete. You were a student athlete at UCLA. You then pursued a certificate in sustainability at UCLA. Tell me about that and what inspired you to pursue sustainability beyond your volleyball career. Yeah, I've always been uh, passionate about sustainability, uh, studied environmental studies at UCLA, and then decided to start playing professionally right after I graduated, so put a traditional career on pause, and then have always been looking for the right way to kind of combine uh, sport and sustainability. Um, so this last year, I started a certificate program at UCLA. I was also the volunteer assistant coach for the women's 
uh, beach volleyball program at UCLA, which was really cool. So I've been traveling quite a bit in the last five or six years, was living half the year in Brazil and playing down there in the off season. Um, so it's really cool to get to come back to UCLA, reconnect with lots of people and basically take a deeper dive into uh, sustainability. I'd been reading a lot and listening to tons of podcasts on my own, but it's really cool to take a more formal approach. And so, you know, starting with the Sustainability Certificate, active in the women's program, and also getting active with the AVP. Tell me about, I know that you've started working on some sustainability strategy with the AVP, and obviously COVID is going to change some of that. But Tell us a little bit about that program and what you envision as a sustainability goal for that organization. Yeah, so at the end of last season, 2019, I uh, spoke to the management at AVP, and they were really interested in implementing some sort of sustainability program. And I basically partnered with uh, Sustainable Surf, who's a local nonprofit. They had done some consulting work with the World Surf League and helped them making the surf competitions more sustainable. So they have some experience there. And they had also just launched a uh, offsetting program called Sea Trees, where they have a kelp growing project locally in LA off the coast of Palos Verdes, which is really cool. Um, I got to learn a lot about that. And kelp offers a lot of uh, opportunity. The science, is, science and measurement is still pretty new. So they're working on that. But it's the fastest growing plant in the world. So there's lots of opportunity there. And there's no inputs required. Um, so basically the idea was to partner with sustainable surf, they would help with some of the strategy and they would offer the, um, offsetting mechanism and then find a corporate sponsor to help fund the program and also add some value to the tour. Uh, so basically trying to set it up as a win for everybody, uh, good PR all around really interesting opportunities to create content. Um, because the AVP tour is also streamed on Amazon and NBC, um, and do some good along the way. So. Unfortunately, everything was teed up and then literally the following week, COVID hit. So everything's on pause. We have an abbreviated season this year. We have three tournaments uh, back to back to back in the end of July. So with all the health protocols and the rushed planning, unfortunately, we weren't able to do it this year. But so far, it's just on pause and we're going to resume and hopefully implement the climate action plan in 2021. Awesome. And tell me about that, the reception from the management at AVP. Were they immediately on board? Did it take some finagling? Um, did they get it right off the bat? Or was this more of a conversation that happened over time? It definitely happened over time. Um, just because the management team is small and everyone there wears so many hats and no one has direct experience with sustainability. So for them to take action, they would have to hire a outside firm and, you know, there's lots of expenses involved. So they, they were very excited about the idea of me kind of helping to organize it and bring in partners with experience. Um, and they definitely see the need. I mean, all of us live and train at the beach, so it's our office. So um, they definitely see we're excited about the opportunity to do it, but unfortunately no one at the AV had direct experience with it. So they're really excited about the ability to have a player help organize it and then bring in some partners to help execute. And speaking of the beach as your office, first of all, like, I don't think there's a better office in the world. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Um, but what have you noticed just in your time 
spending all your time at, at the beach? Like, have you noticed changes in Rio or in California or the beaches you've competed on around the world? Um, are you noticing the changes of climate change? Is it something more subtle? What do you see as an athlete who's you know out there every day? Yeah, um, unfortunately, it is pretty visible. Um, some of the bigger beaches here in LA and then where I live half the year in Rio, um, you can't see the sea level rise as much as you can. And actually, of all places in Chicago on the Great Lakes, uh, the last two, three years, there's we almost didn't even have the tournament because... I think 60% of the beach was washed away. So two years ago, they had to build berms, bring in tractors, and literally build up a little sand wall because one corner of the grandstands in center court was being washed away. And then this last year, they had to change the whole setup. So instead of having three main courts on the big beach, they ha- could only have space for one because so much of it had eroded away. Um, so, yeah, Wow. Sea level rise is real and surprisingly at the Great Lakes, not on your more traditional beach. And then there's obviously the whole issues of plastic and trash on the beach, which is unfortunately, even here in LA in Hermosa, Manhattan, which most people think of as pretty, uh, pretty affluent and well-maintained and um, looked after. There's so much trash. So, yeah. So the people, everybody in the volleyball world must immediately get it when you say, you know, we got to take care of our backyard. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is with Tokyo, so um, beach volleyball is one of the big, big events at the Olympics and consistently gets rated the most fun to watch in person. And I can attest, I (laughs) saw it in Rio and I think on day one, and then I went back on day two and day three again, because I loved it so much. Um, It's such a fun thing to watch. But one of the things you absolutely notice is you're right out in the elements in the same way that you would be with skiing or with golf or with mountain biking. Um, And so you are exposed. So you do see it. You know, what's curious is the Great Lakes is not what I would have guessed as the place that's most visible on beaches. Um, But I suppose that's the, you know, the, the glaciers are melting up in the north and getting carried down by rivers through North America. So through Canada and then into the Great Lakes and, um, yeah, I can imagine that really changes the game. Does Has it changed scheduling at all? Has it challenged the way that competitions, obviously it's changing how they're set up, but um, have you noticed that it's changing schedules or that organizers are worried about that at all? Um, so far it hasn't. Um, most beach volleyball players are pretty used to um, hot conditions. I mean, when I train in Brazil, it can be anywhere from 95 to 105 degrees plus full humidity. So when you train in it every single day, you sort of get used to it, but it is miserable at times. And especially, I remember the Brazilian season, we pretty much go year round and then you take a few weeks off at Christmas. So that first week of January, we come back. We normally, you have hour and a half, two hour long practice in that very first week. You know, everyone's been relaxing and taking some time off to let their body recover. And the first practices are like 30 or 40 minutes just because it is so hot, peak summer, peak humidity. And it's just, you, it's hard to breathe. It crushes you. Do you think that there would be room in the future for like, I don't know, like shading the court somehow or finding a way to increase the cooling options for athletes like in between sets? Is that something that gets discussed at all? Or and how do you, how does that get handled in that crazy heat? Um, I mean, shading the courts, I'm sure athletes would appreciate that. It's actually interesting. Some of the tournaments in Brazil, they shade the grandstands for the fans. And that's something that a lot of 
uh, fans both in Europe for the FIVB and then also in the US, like certain days, it's just miserable to sit in this baking hot sun. So I think fans would appreciate yeah. that. Whereas players are, it's kind of, kind of part of the deal. You just kind of learn to accept it. Right. But I mean, at a certain point, like it's unhealthy to be, like you say, right. When you get back in January, yeah. it can be unhealthy to be out there for the full hour and a half. So at a certain point, there's going to have to be, if this, if trends continue oh, yeah. discussion around protecting the athletes as well. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely, there's definitely medical timeouts and stuff when people cramp and seize up and occasionally a forfeit, but usually because we just train in it and, we limit our exposure. Most people, it doesn't get to that point all the time, but in a tournament, when you play two or three matches in the day, that toll it takes on you is pretty severe. So. Yeah. Especially if you're playing a couple of times in the morning and then you hit that 2 PM, oh my gosh. you know, prime time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we're getting to, you know, Australian open tennis situations where yeah. you've got, you know, people at risk of fainting. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me about what's going on in, in beach volleyball and your efforts to keep it sustainable. I'm really excited to see your initiatives with the AVP come to life next summer. Um, so summer 2021, for anyone who's listening, keep an eye on that. Uh, sustainability initiatives hopefully rolling out across AVP events. And Jeremy, thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and thanks for uh, the work you're doing. <laughs>